Beyond these incidents, we have seen the continued enforcement of problematic laws in Pakistan, including the blasphemy law, also the continued targeting of Ahmadi Muslims using the anti-Ahmadi laws and new media laws. Hello and welcome to the USERF Spotlight podcast, a weekly podcast series by the United States Commission on International Religious Freedom where we take a deep dive into religious freedom conditions around the world, breaking the situation down for you. Each week, we focus on a different country, region, or topic. Not only do we analyze and explain the religious freedom situation to our listeners, but we also make policy recommendations to the United States government in order to address the immense challenges we bring to light here. Now here is the host of our show, USERF Director of Outreach and Policy, Dwight Bashir, to lead today's discussion. Welcome to USERF Spotlight. Today, we're gonna highlight developments in Pakistan over the past year, particularly those impacting vulnerable religious minority communities. Since 2002, USERF has recommended that the State Department designate Pakistan as a country of particular concern due to its systematic, ongoing, and egregious violations of religious freedom. The State Department has designated Pakistan a CPC since 2018, but hasn't taken any punitive action as a consequence of that designation and instead has issued a waiver in the important national interest of the United States uh, based on the legislation. The continued systematic enforcement of blasphemy and anti-Ahmadiyya laws have resulted in the discrimination and persecution of religious minority communities. Just this year alone, we've seen several examples of mob violence, targeted killings, and the desecration of graves and houses of worship. These laws have enabled and encouraged Islamist extremists to operate with impunity, easily targeting religious minorities or those with differing beliefs, including dissidents. We have with us today USERF Senior Policy Analyst and South Asia Specialist Nyla Muhammad to go deeper on these issues. Welcome, Nyla. Thanks for having me, Dwight. It's good to have you back. It's been a while, but uh, tell us up front, if you will, what are some of the most pressing concerns impacting religious freedom conditions in Pakistan uh, this year? And can you share with our audience some examples of those violations that have occurred over the past year and how conditions have changed uh, compared to previous years? These are all particularly important questions that you're asking. Uh, given the series of gruesome events that have taken place in Pakistan over the course of 2021. Last year, we've seen that there was an enforcement of blasphemy laws. We're seeing an alarming increase in mob violence and targeted killings this year. Um, I'm sure you read that just this month, a Sri Lankan factory worker was accused of blasphemy and was set on fire by a mob who actively took selfies in the background of his burning body to post on social media. Thus far, there's been a major incident of religious freedom persecution committed by mobs or vigilantes almost every month targeting religious minority communities, including the Ahmadis, Hindu and Christian communities. If you just look back in, in November in Charsada, uh, a police station was set on fire by an angry mob demanding that an individual accused of blasphemy be handed over to them. Then in September, you had Maksud Ahmed, a British Ahmadi Muslim man visiting Pakistan. He was murdered in Punjab. Maksud was the seventh Ahmadi victim since July 2020. 
In August, you had a mob that desecrated a Hindu temple, damaging deities in Punjab after a Pakistani court granted bail to an eight-year-old, an eight-year-old Hindu boy who was accused of desecrating a Muslim uh, religious school, a madrasa, earlier that same week. In July, you had Muhammad Waqas. He was hacked to death by a police constable after he was acquitted of blasphemy charges. In April, supporters of the hardline group uh, Tahrik Labik Pakistan clashed with security forces for weeks in cities all across Pakistan, and they even took police officers hostage, demanding that the government expel the French ambassador over a publication of cartoons in France depicting the Prophet Muhammad. And in February 2021, a Christian nurse was reportedly tied up and tortured by a mob at a Pakistani hospital after a Muslim colleague falsely accused her of blasphemy. And these are only some of the incidents, some of the many, many incidents that Yusuf has taken note of for reporting purposes and has even documented in our Freedom of Religious Belief victims list. Beyond these incidents, we have seen the continued enforcement of problematic laws in Pakistan, including the blasphemy law, also the continued targeting of Ahmadi Muslims um, using the anti-Ahmadi laws and new media laws. Wow. So, yeah, there's no doubt uh, we're, we're seeing that litany of cases like we've seen in recent years, but it seems to have ramped up a bit. And certainly the blasphemy law being one of those central uh, instigators, whether uh, being charged or even acquitted uh, mobs, uh, you know, get angry and go after the victims, unfortunately. So, and in, in, in Nyla, in mentioning both the blasphemy and anti-Ahmadiyya laws in terms of how it's affected the Ahmadi community in general, uh, you know, in October, uh, we published a fact sheet, uh, a, a report on the persecution of Ahmadiyya Muslims around the world, and it included a section on Pakistan that you, uh, that you wrote. Uh, apart from the targeted killings, how else uh, have uh, Amity's been targeted this year? Repressive laws and policies combined with new media regulations contribute to the systematic and societal discrimination of Ahmadis in Pakistan. Discrimination that the that government officials often publicly support and inflame. Um, you have hardline clerics, religious groups, politicians, and political parties that often use the country's harsh anti-Ahmadiyya laws and blasphemy laws as a rallying point. The government has not addressed these statements and the officials' use of fiery language incites violence and harassment of Ahmadis, including targeted killings, desecration of graves, demolition of Ahmadiyya mosques, unofficial boycotts of businesses, hate speech, including from government officials and online harassment. This year, the Ahmadiyya community faced a series of atrocities, including targeted killings. I mentioned that there's been seven targeted killings since July 2020. Uh, just this year, there were three. In February, you had Abdul Qadir. He was a 65-year-old Ahmadi man killed at the entrance of his clinic in Peshawar, Pakistan. Um, as I mentioned earlier, there was the British Ahmadi Muslim man uh, visiting Pakistan. He was murdered in Nankana Sahib in Punjab. And in November, you had a 40-year-old man identified as Kamran Ahmed. He was shot by unknown assailants. And it's just really sad. There's been several others who are wounded in unsuccessful attempts. 
And Dwight, you mentioned the Ahmadiyya fact sheet. This brought to mind our fact sheet on the destruction of cemeteries published in September 21. In both publications, we documented the desecration of Ahmadiyya Muslim houses of worship and cemeteries. The number of gravestone desecrations in Pakistan has sharply increased due to extremist political parties' use of anti-Ahmadi and blasphemy laws as a rallying point. Like, the state has often failed to protect religious minorities, particularly Ahmadis, and this is often complicit in the destruction of their tombstones that carry the Muslim creed. So in 2020 alone, there were about 164 Ahmadi gravestones that were desecrated and 48 documented so far in 2021. In June 2021, there was a violent mob that obstructed a funeral procession of an Ahmadi woman in a local graveyard in Sheikhapura district, forcing the family to bury her elsewhere. It was extremely sad. And in 2021, mobs desecrated at least 10 Ahmadiyya mosques, some in the presence of Pakistani police even. And in September, Yusuf received reporting from the Ahmadiyya community that Pakistani police assisted in the destruction of yet another Ahmadiyya place of worship and 40 Ahmadiyya grave sites, in addition, um, in Gujrawala district, were also destroyed. Yeah, it's just repugnant, the, the, the number and consistency of uh, these incidents targeting Ahmadis in, uh, in Pakistan. And it continues unabated, as, you, as you're talking about, from year to year. You hope that things will shift and the authorities will, will try to step in and do more to prevent. But, you know, there's some element of complicitness there, and, and it's very troubling. There have also been many incidents in media reports mentioning uh, forced conversions in marriage, including including underage girls from, from both the Hindu and Christian communities. Can you tell our audience a little more about these reports and the, uh, and the uh, you know, veracity of these reports? So, Dwight, oftentimes people look for numbers, but we do not have accurate numbers for the number of forced conversions per year. But it is apparent that the issue of abduction, forced conversion of Islam, rape, and forced marriage remain an imminent threat for religious minority women and children, particularly from the Hindu and Christian faiths. Recently, there was an anti-forced conversion bill proposed in 2021, prepared by Pakistan's Ministry of Human Rights, which aimed to protect underage girls from being kidnapped and forced to marry and convert to Islam. However, the legislation was rejected by lawmakers, including the Minister for Religious Affairs and Interfaith Harmony, Nural Haqqadri. So the lack of protection for women and underage girls forced to convert is an extremely concerning situation in, in Pakistan. Yeah, so that adds to, to a growing list, unfortunately, that, uh, you know, definitely uh, a worrying situation appears to continue and even uh, has a negative trajectory uh, based on this litany of uh, cases you've been uh, referencing. Have there been any positive developments? Uh, we're obviously looking at any time we can acknowledge some, some positive efforts or reforms. Have you seen anything in that regard uh, in the past year? Well, there have been incidents that we can surely celebrate and applaud Pakistan for, such as the reopening of the Kartarpur Corridor, a visa-free crossing between Pakistan and India, allowing Indian Sikhs to visit the temple inside Pakistan where Guru Nanak died and the corridor was closed during COVID, but it reopened, allowing Sikhs to pay homage to Guru Nanak. So that's been a positive development. And in June, Pakistani courts acquitted Shikhta Qasar and her husband, Shafqat Emanuel, who was wheelchair bound after seven years on death row. The couple were convicted in 2014, I believe, for allegedly sending blasphemous texts insulting the Prophet Muhammad. 
to a local imam from a number that was registered apparently from Ms. Gosser's phone or name. Um, and it, in October 2021, Sajid Masi Gill, a Christian Pakistani, uh, was sentenced to life in prison on false blasphemy allegations. He was also acquitted. These are some examples, but unfortunately, there are a few positive developments that have occurred and are unfortunately overshadowed by the countless cases of individuals from minority faiths that are continuously persecuted under Pakistan's discriminatory laws. So when you talk about you know, a number of these cases and going back to some of the, the, uh, the cases of targeted killings and, and desecration, et cetera, um, you know, to give a flavor of how bad uh, things are, uh, how would you put your finger on uh, it in terms of uh, what is actually enabling these attacks and, and, and what role does the government uh, play in Pakistan in creating an environment uh, an atmosphere of impunity when attacks occur. I mean, that's such an important element that that we you know have to get our uh, heads around because ultimately, when communities are being targeted and there's nothing being done to prevent or then to prosecute, it fosters a climate of impunity. What can you tell us about this in, in the Pakistan context? Do I, I think it's the mere existence of blasphemy laws, anti-Ahmadiyya laws, and to some extent, the new media laws under the jurisdiction of the Pakistani government. It's coddled extremism. This is precisely why we have called on Pakistan to repeal these laws. The Pakistani government has not only enabled the systematic discrimination of Ahmadis, Shias, Hindus, Sikhs, Christians, and non-believers through the existence of these laws, but also has failed to support or protect members of these religious minority groups while allowing other groups such as the TLP to act with impunity. The TLP had given the government of Pakistan an April 20th deadline to expel the French ambassador over the publication of cartoons in France depicting the Prophet Muhammad. The authorities responded in Pakistan by arresting the TLP leader, prompting its supporters to hold protests and sit-ins across Pakistan. At least four people were killed, hundreds injured, thousands arrested because of these violent clashes. Pakistan banned the group after the violence in April, but later lifted the ban in November. The group has a tremendous public backing, particularly in Punjab, where many incidents of religious persecution occur. The sad part is, is they actually arrested the leader, but later let him go and lifted the ban on the TLP. That just allows for groups like this to continuously feel as if they can say anything and get away with it, Dwight. Yeah, no, it sounds to me as if we're we're seeing a continued pattern of this uh, fostering impunity by not by not doing the things that you would expect uh, within the rule of law context. So unfortunately, uh, it seems it seems that we see these patterns repeating themselves year after year. You know, at this point, you know, the question remains what what can be done uh, to try to you know, push Pakistan to improve conditions. And are there actions uh, the U.S. government and, and more broadly, the international community uh, can take to press the Pakistani government to make reforms and do better, you know, to protect uh, the vulnerable religious minorities in the country? Are there certain things uh, that you believe, based on uh, the analysis that need to be happening to push the Pakistanis in the right direction? Sure. I mean, we can just repeat ourselves. The Pakistani government needs to support and protect members of religious minority groups and dismantle systemic discrimination through repealing its blasphemy laws and anti-Ahmadiyya laws. The government of Pakistan also needs to curb hardline extremist organizations and 
individuals from promoting sectarian violence, exacerbating existing prejudices and inducing fear amongst religious minorities. Extremist rhetoric put forth by organizations or individuals such as TLP or government organizations or politicians or clerics often proceed in attacks on religious minorities. We've seen this time and time again. The United States um, and the international community needs to pressure the Pakistani government to repeal blasphemy laws and anti-Ahmadiyya laws. And until a repeal is accomplished, enact reforms to make blasphemy available offense, require evidence by accusers, ensure proper investigation by senior police officials, allow authorities to dismiss unfounded accusations, and enforce existing penal code articles criminalizing perjury or false accusations. Currently, those charged with blasphemy are taken into police custody without the chance of bail. Convicted individuals can face fines, imprisonment, and even the death penalty under Pakistan's penal code. Legal representation for those charged in such cases is difficult to obtain due to the sensitivity and dangers involved. And those willing to defend individuals accused of blasphemy have been targeted time and time again, threatened, and in some instances, even killed. Well, we certainly uh, you know, have put our finger on what needs to happen. The question then becomes, uh, you know, what uh, what leverage we really have and ultimately uh, what uh, will uh, and desire the Pakistani government uh, has to 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 make these things happen and, and do better to protect its citizens and to prevent these kinds of actions. So we hope uh, we hope that, uh, you know, they move in the right direction. It's in their own interest, as we well know, uh, not just the United States interest and the international people, but but ultimately the government of Pakistan's interests. We'll have to leave it right here. I want to thank Yusuf, senior policy analyst for South Asia, Naila Mohammed, for her deep insights today. Uh, you can find more information about our work on Pakistan and our full list of policy recommendations on our website. As always, thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next time on Yusuf Spotlight. To learn more about Yusuf and about global religious freedom concerns, visit yusuf.gov. That's U-S-C-I-R-F dot gov. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter at U-S-C-I-R-F. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week for another USERF Spotlight.